All right. Well, spending 10 years or so in the Carolinas, which I did uh, in my early 20s, I have often heard people saying, and you've probably heard this as well, oh, bless your heart. They'll say, bless you, which sometimes is meant to be a blessing, but later, the longer I was there, the more I realized that it came with a hidden meeting. For instance, that quarterback of yours, that QB, that Josh Allen, well, he saw them fans in the stands and he got all excited and he plumb forgot how to throw the football altogether. Bless his heart. Or the, the female version of this is, oh, honey, bless you. You must have been out in the humidity this morning. Which means you came in and your hair is flat and you look awful like a wet sheepdog. Bless your heart. But a blessing is actually a spiritual word. Jesus blessed his people. He, he called the children around him. When Jesus called them around, he brings them together and he says that he would bless them. And after his resurrection, he lifted up his hands and he blessed his disciples. How many of you want to be blessed this morning? All right, there's three of you. The rest of you want to be cursed and that's up to you. But some of you want to be blessed this morning. And so uh, uh, you want a blessing, you want to talk about being blessed. Here's what we actually start to think that that means. Say, I really want God to bless me. And when we unpack what that means, what sometimes we're really saying is, I really want God to give me everything that I need. Everything that I want. You see, when people actually say, I want to be blessed, what they're saying is, I want to be completely and wholly self-sufficient, is what they're actually saying. And so you'll say about someone, well, look at that person, they've been financially Blessed, Or look at that person. They have a wealth when it comes to their family environment. Uh, what you really are saying, they are financially independent or their family allows them to do some things that other people aren't able to do. They don't need any money. They've got all that they need. They are self-sufficient. In fact, George Barna is a guy who does a lot of research. He found that 94% of Americans believe that they are self-reliant or self-sufficient. They don't need other things. They don't need other people. They don't need other people at all. They can make it on their own. So 94% of people living in America say that they are self-reliant. And when they live their lives, what do they say about that person? Particularly if they love Jesus, you look at that person and say, look, God has blessed them. They are so blessed. Maybe. Today we're going to look at the words of Jesus, the opening lines of what we know as the Sermon on the mountain, documented for us in the book of Matthew. And what we'll find is that Jesus is going to teach us a very, very different way, a very, very different perspective on what it means to be blessed. Completely different from the way that we use the term in our context, and actually completely different from how the Jews would look at that word in their context as well. If you're watching us online for the first time, or if you're here in the room with us for the first time, my name is Pastor Milo, and this is the second week in our sermon series on the Sermon of the Mountain. We are glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll be able to track along with us as we go through this sermon. I read a funny story this week about a church secretary who put her sermon, the pastor's sermons on the sign out front every week all the time, and the sign said, the greatest sermon ever preached by John Smith. As you would expect, the congregation wasn't really that impressed after that week. 
Because the reality is, is I can do the very best as I can this morning, but when we look at this text, if you are reading through Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, it'll take you about a 10-minute read. So Jesus, in 10 minutes, unpacks so much for us to take in. We're only going to take a few verses here today. If you've got a Bible like I do that has the, the words of Christ written in a red font, and you see those red letter words, you see the depth and the beauty of what God is teaching through His Son, Jesus Christ, from the mouth of our Savior, Jesus and as we look at today's text, this, this text is actually a pretty familiar one, maybe the most familiar in all of this passage and familiar to many of you. If you've grown up in the church, these words may have been written on the walls in your house, something that you know, you understand, you are familiar with. Jesus was teaching to a group of people on the side of a mountain, and he gives these eight blessings. It's pretty straightforward. And some of these words and some of these word pictures that it creates in our minds, these are vivid images that kind of stick with us. The idea of thirsting for righteousness or being poor in spirit or being pure in heart. But if you're with someone who is hearing this for the first time, try to explain to them what those terms mean and you'll realize that you don't know as much about this passage as you think that you do. And that you're actually a little bit more confused about what's here. And you have no clue about what some of these things mean, even though you are familiar with them. I mean, Jesus said them, so they sound nice. But what does it mean? They're called the Beatitudes. And that comes from a Latin word. And that Latin word, Beatitude, just means blessing. These are blessings that Jesus gives. And here they are right in front of us. Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount. He, he calls together his listeners. He starts talking to them by pronouncing these blessings over them. He talks about mercy. He talks about being meek. And he, he, and he has all these good things, it would seem, that Jesus wants his followers to be like. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I guess I didn't need to say anything more than that because it's so simple. So let's close up. Let's go home. There's, some of you are leaving. Thank you. All right. It's simple, or it certainly isn't complicated. The Beatitudes are not that complicated. In a similar way that a swimming pool is not that complicated. You look at a swimming pool, you're hot, it's cold. You get in, you get wet. It's a swimming pool. Like that, you get that. But if, if you take a few steps and it gets a little bit swimming, you realize, oh, all of a sudden you're in chest deep. Oh, there's, there's something a little bit different going on here. I was talking to Bob Reiner this week. He, he just finished a Tough Mudder. If you've ever heard of that uh, competition, that, the obstacle course, a Tough Mudder. Again, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It's tough and there's a lot of mud. I mean, that's basically what happens uh, with that event. It's an endurance race. And I did it about five years ago. I did a half Tough Mudder. He did the whole thing. Uh, but the idea behind it is that you're just going to be going through all these obstacles and you're going to be covered in mud and it's going to be tough. And that's about it. And one of the first obstacles that you come up to, or at least I came up to the time that I did, uh, was this pond crossing. You had to cross a pond, and on the other side, you could go on to the next obstacle. And as soon as you get in the water, it's called, there's a sign next to it, and it's called the zipper. And I didn't understand why was it called the zipper. Well, here's what happened, actually, is when they dug the pond, before they filled it in, what they did was they dug it out in kind of a checkerboard pattern. So that, it's like a three-dimensional checkerboard, so that you're in the water, you're walking along, you have three or four feet that you're walking, and then it drops two to three feet. And then you're, now you're neck deep in this dirty water, and now you walk forward, and the next thing you know, you, you hit your waist against this muddy ledge, and now it's three or four feet back up. 
So now you got to climb back up, and then you go three or four feet, and then it drops down again. Because what's underneath the surface is a lot more complicated or a lot more there than meets the eye. The Beatitudes are very much like that. They're like the pond in the tough mudder, or they're like being in a deep end of a swimming pool. There's more here than meets the eye. And so much so, I would argue, that it has the potential, as, as this whole Sermon on the Mount does, has the potential of turning your life upside down if we would listen and pay attention. To the Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells his listeners in, in Galatians chapter 3 to be clothed in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes to, to the city of Corinth and he tells them that they are to have the scent of Christ on them. And for those who would call themselves Christians, call themselves followers of Christ, we are to be clothed in Christ and we are to smell like Christ. And this passage here tells us exactly what it looks like to be clothed in Christ, to be wrapped in Christ, to smell like Christ. And so as the title of the sermon goes, and I'm going to call it today, it's a beatitude attitude. A beatitude attitude. You see, blessings here given here by Jesus are a list of things not that we do, but instead the characteristics of who we are to be. It's not a list of the things that we do, but it's the characteristics of who we are to be. That's what this list of blessings from Jesus actually is. You see, when there's no power, no, no spiritual power of God in a person's life, what happens? What is our default? What do we do? We go to the rules and start doing the things. We say, well, you can't do this, but you can do that. You can't say this, but you can say that. And we start living by a list of rules, and we miss the spiritual power of God on our lives. We try to call ourselves spiritual, but what we really are is religious. We're religious. We're living out a bunch of rules, doing the right things, but lacking the power of God, lacking the fragrance of Christ that we are to be wrapped in, that our lives are to be clothed in Christ. No wonder there's no supernatural power in our lives, which is why Christ begins this sermon which is why Christ begins his ministry and sets things out, the trajectory of how he wanted his followers to be with these blessings. So what is a beatitude attitude? Well, I'm glad you asked. A beatitude attitude has three B's. I'm going to give you three B's here this morning that's going to help you remember where we've been today. Here they are. Be humble, be hungry, be like Christ. Be humble, be hungry, be like Christ. For those of you who are Bills fans, you're going to hear it. You're going to realize, wait a minute, I've heard some of that before. And yes, there's some of that before. I'm trying to take that and redeem a statement like that that's going to be more about winning a football game and more about understanding what it looks like to be wrapped in Christ and win what it looks like to, to win the spiritual life and the battle that's going on all around us. Be humble, be hungry, be like Christ. So let's look at the first one. Be Humble. This is from Matthew chapter 5, and it's going to cover verses 3 through 5. Let's read them again together, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What's a beatitude attitude? First, we have to be humble. The first step in this process is for us to recognize our own state. 
Jesus refers to our spiritual condition, not our physical location when he promises the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say you're at the right GPS coordinates. This is where the kingdom of heaven will be. No, he talks about our spiritual condition. This is not a passage, friends, about loving those who are physically poor. That is part of the gospel message, but that's not what's being communicated here. Poverty resulting from a lack of resources is not a virtue any more great than those who have great wealth and could could possibly secure their way into God's kingdom. That's not what happens here. No, poverty in spirit or being poor in spirit is recognizing your insufficiency and my insufficiency to earn God's blessing at all. The Bible clearly teaches that all have sinned. And fallen short of God's holy standard. We are sinful. We need a Savior. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are special to God. But God does not love you because you are special. If we fall into that trap, we've missed it. He loves us because he's made a divine choice to do so. And he demonstrates that love by sending Jesus Christ to die for us, though we have sinned against his holy love. And you cannot do anything to make him love you more. You cannot do anything to to actually help yourself become part of the kingdom of God. No one person possesses enough spiritual resources to to purchase God's blessing in some way. First, the price is too high. Holiness, a perfect standing before God. Purity, righteousness, glory, honor, and power is set aside only for one. Jesus, the Son of God. Second, God's delight is not for sale. He didn't say, live your life this way, live to this standard, and then I will rescue you, save you, purchase you. That's not the gospel. And then secondly, we see this word mourning. And mourning illustrates the second step of the process of of receiving God's undeserved favor upon us. And it's humbling when we realize it. Upon gaining a proper understanding of where we stand before a holy God, of our sinful condition, it's teaching us on our mourning that we repent of our sin. Just as blessing and and poverty of spirit seem odd together, they don't seem to kind of glow together. This word blessing and and poverty that doesn't seem to connect. This this idea of, of delight in who God is and what he has done for us and mourning over that, they don't seem to go together very well either. But it's in that paradox that we start to see what God's really up to. Mourning, when we, when we mourn over someone that we've lost, uh, an event that we've gone through, something that's meaningful to us, we, this expression is a critical uh, for us to kind of understand what we've, we've been through. It's, it's a representation of how much we loved that person or how much we, we've lost uh, in a process But mourning in and of itself is not enough to connect to our spiritual condition. You see, that's a foundational piece. The foundational piece that we have to start with is that we are poor, poverty-stricken before God. And we mourn that. And we repent from that knowing that that's how we have become who we are. 
And as Jesus is teaching these Beatitudes, he's looking out into the crowd and he is teaching them. He is saying that he is going to build something. And this kingdom of God was going to be built. And it's going to be built on the shoulders of them who are there in front of him. And they are all poverty stricken. As are you and I. I read about a fourth grade Sunday school teacher who asked her class what repentance meant. And one child said, it means you're sorry for something you did. And another responded more accurately, it means that you're sorry enough for what you did to quit doing it. You see, knowledge itself of what we should or shouldn't do isn't enough to change our behaviors. That happens in our lives all the time. We have plenty of knowledge as to why we should wear a seatbelt or plenty of knowledge as to why we shouldn't smoke cigarettes or plenty of knowledge of why binging Netflix 24 hours a day is probably not the best thing for us. But knowledge doesn't change your life. Repentance changes your life. And to mourn over sin is to express the appropriate amount of sorrow that makes me stop sinning. It's a heart change that has come. And understanding that there is an embrace of a loving God. Genuine grief expressed over our sin changes because we realize the poverty that we have of our spirit. We are poor in spirit and it ignites God's forgiveness. There's always this balance of enough forgiveness to cover our sin. Every time that we look at our sin and our spiteful space before a holy God, there's always enough forgiveness, always enough grace to cover it. And our restored relationship with the Heavenly Father is a result. Jesus beautifully described God's comfort as this mending of our mourning spirit. In another passage, Jesus declared he did not come to condemn the world, but he came to give the world life. God's desire is not to beat us down with guilt, but mourning over our sin changes our experience with his amazing grace that he has made available to us. These are the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. So the first step in a beatitude attitude is to be humble. To understand in light of Christ, in light of who he is, where our standing is before him. I came across something this week. I had never seen it before. It, it's, it's powerful. It, it caught my attention and it helps illustrate this point. If, if you've ever came across the work of, of Tim Noble and Sue Webster, as I did this week, if you already know what that is, stop yourself, bite your tongue from elbowing your neighbor and saying, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to show. Just wait a second, all right? We're going to get there. I don't know the spiritual condition of these artists. I don't know if they have given their lives to Christ or not. I have no idea. But I'm going to show you in just a second. In in their art, there is something that is coming out that actually speaks to the redemptive nature and the way that Christ shows his love for us. What a beautiful illustration it is. So let me show you the first slide. This is Tim Noble. This is an, an art exhibit. And I know it's small here in the room. Maybe you have to watch at home. This, this is the type of thing. You come into an art exhibit. And you come into a dark room and there on the table in the center of the room is like an old beat up kitchen table. And all over the table there are all these beer cans and Coke cans. And and if you look closer there's there's these boxes that are laying on the table. And it's it's all dark. There's no explanation as to what it is. And, And if you look closely it looks like that these cans have been shot through with BBs and they're just sitting on the table. And and you're like oh well this is one of those art shows you know where like. 
okay, whatever this is all about. And then as you are standing there, there's this, this light that comes on from a different angle, and you notice this. So if you look at it there, I don't know how well you can see it from your seat there, but this light comes on and you realize, wait a second, all those pin, that's the New York City skyline in the shadows there on the back wall. All of this seemingly wasted trash and garbage all sitting on the table uh, is now this beautiful scene there in the background that, that who would have thought that, that a 40 of beer is there? It's one of the twin towers uh, that is there in the background. Who would have thought that all of this would have come together? Take a look at this next one. This, again, you can't see it terribly well. I'll explain it to you. It's, it's, a, it's a pile of trash laying on the ground. There's, there's all, and, and you're like, well, what is this? This is speaking to something in our society. There's garbage laying all around. There's McDonald's cups and, and fast food. It's all kind of thrown together there, and it's in the middle of this pile, and it's just kind of laying there. You come into a room, you just got a pile of garbage lying on the floor, and then you wait 10, 15, 20 seconds, and then the light shines at a different angle, and you see this. And if you look carefully, that there now, now your mind is kind of changed. Like, was this, gonna, was this teaching me something about the filth that we eat or something like that? And you just realize, no, there's, there's faces in the trash. And it's telling something. It's telling a story maybe about those who, who live in poverty or those who are homeless or, or those who are living in these type of conditions in the trash. You see their, their shadow, their faces are right there in the pile of rubbish with the term wasted youth is the title of this one. And then one more, one more. And this is the craziest looking thing. I, this is all like paint supplies and, and, and cleaning supplies and work tools. And they're all just kind of just sitting on this stool and they're, they're, there's a toilet paper roll there. There's all these different strange things that are all just kind of piled there together. And then the light comes on and it shows you this from a different angle. And it's just incredible. Just incredible. Uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought that you could shine a light on that thing? Well, well Tim Noble and Sue Webster, they're the ones who thought that you could. But they, they're shining this light and you see these figures that it's no longer about the things, the tools that are being worked with. But actually there's a story being told about the workers themselves and the people that they represent. You see, when it comes to the Beatitudes, what Jesus is trying to teach us here, when, when, when he teaches us to be humble, what we are learning here is, is that we are learning that we are different, we, we are rubbish in our own efforts, in our own eyes, but somehow that like Christ is looking through that rubbish and he sees something that we would never, ever, ever see. He sees something beautiful. He sees something uh, uh, better than what is there. Because of, in light of who Christ is, we need to know ourselves. Because without that illumination, without the light that comes through there, we are nothing but rubbish. We are nothing but a pile of trash, a stack of tools that are not being used for anything useful. So if we are to be humble, we're to be poor in spirit. We're to be mournful of our current state. And we're to be meek. Meek does not mean weak. No, meek is an understanding of that position. It means to be humble before God. Understanding who He is versus who we are. 
We need to be humble. Secondly, to be hungry. To be hungry. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Be humble. Be hungry. You see, all of these beatitudes, as you read this list, you need to understand it. It is entirely countercultural to what we understand of, of leadership or what we understand of success in this world. If you compare this list, here's, there was an author who put together a different list. This is the world's view of the self-made man. Blessed is the self-made man. Or blessed is the ruthless man. See, these are the things that we highlight. Blessed is the one who has the hunger for the new iPhone or for the, the new Tesla or even a different, it's not always the things and the stuff. There's actually blessed is those who are more minimalist than someone else, that I can live on even less than you and have even fewer things than you and I can live on almost nothing at all. Blessed is that man or blessed is the powerful or blessed is those who would win at any cost. And blessed are the celebrities because we always want to love them and, and follow after them. But this passage says, be hungry for something else. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. The word righteousness meaning right standing before God. That's the righteousness. That's the hunger that drives this person. Hunger for this, Jesus says. Hunger for righteousness. Like you are starving in the desert. When we look at this passage in context, in Matthew chapter 5, where did Jesus just come from? Matthew chapter 4, he's been in the wilderness. And he says, I want you to hunger for righteousness. I want you to thirst for a right standing before God. And we talked about God a couple of weeks ago when we finished the Revelation series. I want you to hunger for a God who is bigger than big. I want you to hunger for a God who can be closer than close. And a hunger for a God who's gooder than good. You remember that? That's what I want you to be hungry for. That's what I want you to pursue. I want you to throw your whole life after that. This pursuit of righteousness. Hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And then what will happen? For they will be filled, he says. This is the blessing. Be hungry for those things. And everywhere else we look, we're being told to be hungry for something else. To pursue something else. To pursue power. To pursue prestige. To pursue the perfect selfie. To pursue all of those things that have nothing to do with the holy God and everything to do with me. What a mistake that is. Be hungry. So we're being humble. We're being hungry. Thirdly, we are to be like Christ. Matthew 5, 7 through 10 says this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of what? Because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Be humble, be hungry, be like Christ. This is upside down. Everything that we're going to study, everything we're going to read here in this sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, you're going to hear Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. This is completely upside down. And these, these things that we read here at the last half of these Beatitudes, they're, they're all representations of who Jesus is and how he lives his life when he is here on the earth. So the first, the first half of this chapter is helping us to be able to get ourselves straight be- between how we are before God. And then what, what is it really that we are to be pursuing? Verse 6 tells us what we're pursuing. Pursuing righteousness so that we put on the clothing. We put on the attire. We begin to smell like Christ. And you begin to see these behaviors coming. You see the Jews. The Jews are listening to this. And, and he begins his sermon with blessings which is actually something they are very accustomed to, very used to. If you are familiar with Psalms, Psalm chapter 1 begins with a blessing. And this is, this is a passage that they would be very familiar with. It begins with a blessing. And that blessing says, Blessed are those who don't walk with the wicked. Blessed are those who don't stand with the sinners. Blessed are those who don't sit with the scornful. Right? That's where the blessings are. And Jesus is beginning his message in a very similar way. He's starting with blessings as well. And they make the connection. They say, oh, I get this. He's, he's teaching in a style that we understand. He's, he's teaching in a method that makes sense to us. He is giving us a blessing to follow in line with. But that blessing is entirely different than what they're expecting. Because the Jews had been, all of their existence had always been about what could they do before God. And God continues to come back through the prophets. He continues to come back through every leader that he sends their way to tell them again and again and again, I don't care what you do, your heart is what I'm after. So when Jesus says blessings to you, he's doing something different. As the band comes forward this morning, we see these ways that they are laid out. When Jesus says, blessed are those who show mercy, Jesus shows mercy. When you have his ministry, when you look at what he's done in his ministry, when you read the stories that are going to come in Matthew, as you, as you read the dialogue that is going on here, when Jesus is moving through a crowd, what does he say? He says, who touched me? And he doesn't turn around and say something awful. He, does, he, he, he says, who touched me? He says, the spirit has gone out of me. And he turns and he sees a woman with the issue of blood. And he shows love and mercy on her. She should have never been there in that culture. Should have never certainly touched anyone in that culture. Should have never been around anyone in that culture. And he turns and looks on her with mercy. And heals her. Jesus is pure in heart as he moves through the area as he's teaching as the crowds begin to gather what do the the teachers of the law the pharisees today what do they say well you're just trying to gather people unto yourself and they call him beelzebub they say they say you are you are the devil himself you're bringing everyone to yourself you're trying to gather everyone to yourself they accused him of all types of things but jesus was what he was pure 
in heart. He says, no, that's not what I'm after here. Remember the first thing that I told you when I started this ministry? He said, it's going to be upside down to what you know. Jesus is a peacemaker. When the crowds gathered around the adulterous woman, and they're standing around her, and they are ready to stone her there, he kneels down and draws in the sand, and he looks up, and he says, which one of you is without sin? You cast the first stone. And one by one, person by person, they drop the stone and they leave away. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. But we can't stop there. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. And they are persecuted, why? Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there are many of you, many of us, many times that we'll go home and we'll tell our friends, we'll, family, we'll come to church, we'll tell our friends and family, I said, I was persecuted today. Why are you being persecuted? Here we are to be persecuted because of righteousness, because I'm standing in a right place before God. Is that why you are being persecuted or are you being persecuted because you're a jerk? Right? When Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, because you are actually pursuing after and got yourself in a right standing before God and the world doesn't want to see that. Is that why you're being persecuted? Jesus says, blessed are those. And he goes on further and he tells us more about those blessings. When they insult you and they falsely say evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad in that. Friends, when we talk about persecution throughout history, when we talk about persecution around the world, it doesn't look very much like what we pretend is persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This morning, my challenge is that we would leave here with a beatitude attitude, meaning that our hearts have changed. That this passage, a familiar passage, would challenge us to be humble, to be hungry for righteousness, and to be like Christ. And it is all upside down to what is natural for us. There are times, if I'm out in the community, I'm at a soccer game, if I've been at a church, someone will say something along the lines of, you're a man of the cloth, will you pray for our meal? Or they'll say, you're a man of God, will you pray for my sick wife, sister, husband, etc. How would someone know if I'm a man of God? How does this person know that? How, how do they know that, that that's, that's my stance before God? It, maybe they should ask my wife, do you know my wife? Do you know my family? Do you know the elders of the church, the people who are spending time with me? Because they might not have such a high opinion of me. Because if you run that against these blessings, it would be blessed, we would be blessed to be humbled and humiliated before God so that what? Because if I make myself lower, he is exalted, is what we learn in the Gospels. May we leave today humbled before his word. May we learn to be attitude, attitude, understanding that we are to be these things. As we go through the rest of this, this chapter, we're going to read through this next week, we're going to read that you are my children. We're going to read that you are the soul the world. It doesn't say, get your act together and then you can become the light of the world. No! It says you are. 
And so we cannot be obsessed with doing before being. He has given himself wholly and completely to you and to me. And so therefore, we have standing before God. You are the light of the world. Be humble. Be hungry for righteousness. Be like Christ. Clothing yourself in Christ. Smelling, looking, tasting like Christ, if that's what it takes. May this familiar passage not just skip over our heads because we've heard it before. May it challenge our very hearts. May it it flip our worlds upside down because it has the power to do that if we would actually implement this in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We trust, Lord, that you are working in people's hearts. Lord, we are humbled before your word. It is holy and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that it would pierce this week. And Lord, I pray that as I have shared this morning that I have not come from a high place as someone who has figured this out. I'm coming humbled before you this morning as well. Use this time, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. May you stumble towards redemption. Bless your heart.